to Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. We're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And we're especially excited about this episode, since we get to gush about our all-time favorites. Yeah, we're going to be talking about our top four movies. The top four on your profile, the coveted spot on Letterboxd, the first thing people see when they look at your profile. So when you... It's top four, like top all-time movie is such a hard thing to talk about because as soon as you said the first thing people see, I think about what other people perceive as Anna's favorites Mm -hmm. and that comes into play, not just what does Anna think is like the all-time, you know, best movie, whatever that is. It becomes Um, like a curated version of yourself, not just what is at your core your all-time favorite yeah yeah i think we've got a very interesting collection of top fours here yeah Um, lots to talk about but before we get into that i do want to ask did you have any soup this week of course i did tell Um, me about it (laughs) because i i I can't remember i think it was last weekend maybe um but i went to koreatown um there's multiple koreatowns i think in toronto Right, but I but mean the, the quintessential. Yeah, the downtown Koreatown is um, Christie, um, and I went. I went there to have uh, kimchi jjigae, which mm. was so good because it was a freezing cold day. Oh man, um, it's been so cold in Toronto, uh, but it was just like the perfect like warm hug. Oh, you know. Um, and then actually two days ago, I made myself a sindubuchige with like a ton of, no, it was last night that I had like a ton of tofu in it. And it was just like, again, another cozy, cozy, warm hug that That's I needed. Exactly what you need yeah. when it's so cold outside. Just so comforting, so yeah. warm. Oh, I love that for you. Yeah. Did you have any soup or like, I don't know, anything else? I did not have soup, and I am woefully behind on my martini consumption, but I did make myself some popcorn last night. I was watching some reality TV with my roommate, had a nice big bowl of popcorn, and it was great. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm low on popcorn. I need to go get popcorn. I've been really into, um, I have this, like, flavored salt. It has, like, um, truffle. Oh, you're fancy. Yeah, I know. I'm so fancy. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) But I, like, sprinkle a little bit of that, and it's just, oh, it's so good. I love popcorn. Classy popcorn. Yeah. Okay. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what's what's at the top of your list, Jess? So my number one... Favorite movie on Letterboxd, favorite movie in my heart, is 2019's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I was lucky enough to see the premiere of this movie at TIFF, the North American premiere, and I truly have not stopped thinking about it since then. Yeah. It was a really magical first viewing um, to be able to be in that room with a whole bunch of other queer people who, if you've seen the movie, you know what the ending scene is, at the very end to just sit there and the lights come up and we are all collectively like stunned and silent and sobbing. I just got goosebumps hearing you say that. Oh, it was, yeah, it was magical. Yeah. Um, and I have seen it many times since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just as magical every single time every time and it's that's such a hard thing to accomplish yeah where did you where was the premiere like which theater was it it was at the winter garden theater <gasps> so it was like one of the most beautiful theaters in toronto oh that's just my favorite place gorgeous yeah, yeah. and um the director silenciama was there along with the two stars uh noemi and adele and just getting to hear them talk about it and to be in the presence of these like three incredible women after watching such a beautiful movie yeah um that they brought to life yeah it was a really special moment oh it's such a yeah it's a really good movie i saw it um at tiff bell lightbox um with a friend of mine and uh yeah i remember it it was really special i probably because of like the movie and like the assumptions that I probably made from like this director and all that like I thought that it would actually be a lot more sexual 
Mm. It's you know what? It's probably because like I've seen films that portray women in love from a male perspective. Mm-hmm. There is so much of that. And like they are so hypersexualized. Yep. And honestly, that's probably why. Like, because I've seen so much more of that rather than women directing, yep. you know, female love. And like, yeah, and it was just like different from that. And which is which is great. Um I think that's probably one of my favorite things about this movie right. is the way that Siyama uses the female gaze. Mm it like almost felt revolutionary to me when Mm -hmm. I saw it for the first time because we are so used to, like you said, seeing women and female relationships depicted through the eyes of men. Mm -hmm. And this was such a complete 180 from that in a way that I like even have trouble articulating because I don't necessarily have um, the experience and the like terminology to talk about it in a really scholarly way. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's hard to sort of express, but it was something that I felt. I yeah. just knew watching it that this was a true experience um, that felt very genuine, very honest, and like not for the pleasure of anybody watching it, yeah. but for the people who were involved in it, for the two women who were experiencing it. Yeah. And I find that that's something that throughout her work she does so well she has a real grasp on showing a character's perspective for the sake of that character not for the sake of herself as the director or for you watching it it feels so genuine and so honest and i just love the way that she turns that into like a use of the female gaze to show two women in love in this one yeah when we went to see water lilies yes that's how I like everything you just said I saw that like Mm -hmm. in Water Lilies and to tie it back to what you said at the beginning about how you know your top four that you put on a place like Letterboxd um these are movies that say something about you and and that people will perceive you in a certain way when when seeing that this is your favorite or hearing that this is your favorite um I have a friend that I go to a lot of movies with and Every time he sees a movie that is even remotely in this field, he will send it to me and he will say, this is a Jess movie. And I will say, how do you know? And he goes, it is any combination of historical, queer, art, porn, (laughs) insert comparison here, Yeah. um, based entirely off of my love for this movie. Mm -hmm. And so this is now something that like has become an identifier for me with my friends because of my passion about it. Um, and it's, they're using it to like recommend me other movies. And, um, I just think it's, it's really nice to have something that you feel so strongly about be seen by other people and for them to say, I see this and like, let me find a way to connect with you on it or let me give you more of this. Yeah. Um, also, I think my friends are great for looking out for me that way. Yeah. I feel like you've sort of mentioned to me at like at our early stages of our friendship that Portrait is your movie. And I was like, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> that makes sense. And like, even if I like didn't know you that much, I mean, that's part of the reason why like I loved you immediately. Because like, I feel like you know, these movies, these top four, whatever you pick, like that speaks to who you are as Jess. And like, you can tell whether like you're going to immediately click or not. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a cool way to like get to know someone like right away. Yeah. You know, and kind of ask them like, what's your, what's your favorite, like all time favorite movie. And if they tell you something super whack, I'm like, no, we're not going to (laughs) vibe. This is important enough to me that that is a red flag. Yeah. 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 So that's a really, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I want to know a little bit more about, like, specifics of what drew you in to this movie. I mean, one of the things that I didn't realize I loved until I started talking about it at a party to this poor man who did not ask. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. But I loved that there are basically no men in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a man who drops uh, Noemi's character off at the island. Yeah. um, And he says, like, go up to the house or whatever and then a man near the end who has a line and that's the extent of it in Mm -hmm. this whole two-hour movie Mm -hmm. there are maybe two lines that men speak and the rest of it is focused on women I don't think I've ever experienced that in a way that is so like not in your face about it it's just it feels Mm -hmm. completely natural yeah yeah and I didn't even realize it until later on reflecting on it because it felt so natural right I think that focusing on 
Noemi and Adele and the connection that they either had or made Mm -hmm. is really the fire (laughs) at the center of this movie. And the two of them are so convincing that you can't help but like fall in love with both of them as they fall in love with each other. And I am a little bit of a hopeless romantic, even though I am also kind of a jaded cynic about (laughs) love and dating. Yeah. Um, And so that part of me just immediately fell with both of them. Basically, I would like to be in this island in Brittany, (laughs) either painting or being painted. Yeah. um, With hopefully a a happier ending. (laughs) Um... (laughs) This is this is my heart, and I, I wrote that. I mean, I've I've reviewed this film apparently four times according to my letterbox, um, and I wrote in one of my reviews. I I literally was like, there is something about this movie that like really just captures my heart, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to thank Silenciama for that because mm-hmm. um, there's just something that is so completely fulfilling in me every time I watch it. Oh, I love that. So that's my way of saying, if you haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, please do it, or I don't know if we can be friends. I feel like, you know, if you, don't, if you don't watch movies, if you don't like movies, totally fair. Maybe we can be friends on some other ground. But if you watch movies, and I don't know, I feel like I'm, I'm the same way with books, where like if somebody I care about is like, this thing means a lot to me, mm-hmm. and you mean a lot to me, and I want you to like experience this part of me, I'm going to watch that movie or read that book because that helps me get to know that person better. Totally. Yeah. Are we going in order of like, is this an order of like number one, number two? I don't think I can rank my top four that way. Yeah. Okay. I can't either. So I I don't want to, I don't want to call this like my number number one. one. It just happens to be there in front of me. (laughs) It is the first movie uh, in this list of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with Ex Machina, which is an Alex Garland movie. Um, he has another movie that's coming out with A20. Is it with A24 or is it Neon? Oh. It's A24, eh? Yeah. It is. Oh, I was just going to say on, on the topic of men, um, it's also starring Jesse Buckley, who Mm -hmm. I talked about last week in our top 2021 films. (laughs) Um, I adore her. And I think that she deserves to be huge. And yeah. I would like to see this movie help make her huge. Yeah. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, we'll we'll help we'll we'll help with that. <laughs> I don't know for how. you, Jesse Buckley. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, ex machina, like that was one of when I was thinking about this list, like I was like, this this popped into my mind for sure. I just love feeling uncomfortable in the Mm. way Ex Machina does in a movie. Like, I'm not talking about horror movies and stuff. I mean, like, something that constantly kind of keeps me on the edge, Mm. but not trying to achieve entertainment through shock. Like, I'm not into that at all. Like, I I don't need any, like, cheap horror surprise shit. Right. But I feel like there's so much, like, existential crisis mm. stuff that happens in this movie <laughs> yes. that um, I'm really, really drawn to. You've seen Ex Machina. I have. So close friend of mine did this recently where she was getting her boyfriend to watch it for the first time. And she, she messaged me. She's like, Anna, when I say the scene from Ex Machina, what do you think of? Oh, what do you interesting? Yeah, and like her and I immediately knew exactly which scene we we're talking about. But like, I wonder if that's the case for you. I wonder if I'm going to expose myself. Um, somebody cue up the uh, horny buzzer. <laughs> Oscar Isaac dancing. Yes, yes, <laughs> correct. A hundred percent. Like yes, right. Like that is the scene. Yes. Yeah, I even have it. I like I have it saved on my Instagram. Like I have a folder where it's just <laughs> <laughs> that clip. Um, did you know that there's an extended version of that? Like this keeps going and <laughs> we get we, more. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's something about it that's just like the music is so great, the disco, the energy, but also it is so uncomfortable and weird at the same time. Yeah, very off-putting. Yeah, I am into that. <laughs> that's such an interesting vibe to have as like the core of one of your favorite movies like normally Mm -hmm. I think when people think of favorite they're either 
thinking technical craft or they're thinking like movie of my heart Mm. and I love that off-putting and weird (laughs) is the thing that you're like above all else this is what I want yeah yeah that's so interesting yeah I think another thing that I love is like just the ending of it all and like just the way she just fucks shit over and like the power that this like artificial intelligence have over these two dudes that are like so full of themselves um so overly confident in very different ways mm-hmm. um and like that whole journey of these two guys and then i uh, just like that was like so fun and entertaining to watch <laughs> it's really satisfying i think especially as women going through the world you experience a lot of men who are overconfident and to watch this ai ava just completely wreck them yeah is really really enjoyable yeah and i have to say like this cast is stacked yep um oscar isaac domino gleason and alicia vikander i think and i don't know that this is a controversial opinion because i have seen it come up recently with the oscar talk that's been happening this is the movie she should have won her oscar for in 2015 yeah because she won her oscar for the danish girl Mm -hmm. which i have trouble with mm-hmm. as a movie for other reasons yeah um this is the one that should have gotten her her supporting actress oscar i two billion percent agree <laughs> <laughs> i know yeah and like i just love the way ava as a character knows exactly what she's doing with like mm-hmm. her body and like the impact that like all of her little moves that she makes onto caleb from the get-go like she knows exactly what she's trying to achieve from like all the mind games that she's playing on Caleb and um I I don't know just I I I love that so much I just love the simplicity of Ex Machina it's just right two guys one robot yeah it's very stripped down (laughs) very stripped down yeah okay what's your what's the next one we want to talk about okay my next movie is a movie that I have loved since I was a child it's grown with me I've found new things to appreciate as I've grown older Um, It will always hold a really special place in my heart because uh, it's a movie that my dad introduced me to and we always used to sit and watch it together and it just holds really wonderful memories, but it's also a hell of a film. 1952, Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds, Donald O'Connor, you don't get a better cast than that singing in the rain this is another one where like i'm gonna talk about my heart a lot because this is (laughs) it's just one of those movies yeah um every single time i watch this my heart just feels so full yeah there's so much joy and obviously this is an iconic film in like hollywood canon um and in the history of musicals but there's so much heart in it there's so much color and you can't help but smile when you watch Gene Kelly with that big old grin on his face, <laughs> swinging his umbrella yeah. and dancing and singing in the rain. Yeah. I think like the first time I saw Donald O'Connor dance was in uh, Wizard of Oz. Oh. Yeah. And he played the, like the, the straw guy. <laughs> straw guy. Didn't he? Is that not him? Oh my god, was I wrong my entire life? Donald O'Connor? Doesn't he play this? Stop, is it a different guy? No, who is that? <laughs> Stop. Scarecrow. Ray Bulger. We Are just you had a serious? Re- a revelation. Like, literally all the... I need to tell my mom this. Because my mom is, like, I'm pretty sure 99.9%... That it's Donald O'Connor? Yeah. Like, we both fully believe that it was, yeah. Him. Oh. And then we watched Singing in the Rain, and we're like, he's, like, the best. <laughs> he's like, of course he's incredible. I mean, he is, but... Like, do you... Oh, my God. I'm so upset. Okay. No. Not, this is not about that, but let's move on. <laughs> wow. It's so weird. I need to call my mom. Because, um, my cause like, the, the make him laugh scene... Mm-hmm. Like, when we saw that, like, as a kid, when I saw that, too, I was, like, like, the Scarecrow is also incredible at just, like, completely 
removing what a human body can do and going above and beyond. Yeah, that's like physicality. the physicality. Yeah, is like unreal. And I was like, "Yep, that's him." <laughs> I'm not okay. That's so funny. <sighs> okay, go on. <laughs> How do I go on after that? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. I also really love Donald O'Connor. I feel like Okay, obviously I'm in love with Gene Kelly. That's we'll put that aside. Yeah. And obviously Debbie Reynolds holds her own with these two men, mm-hmm. which is an incredible feat. Yeah. But Donald O'Connor and also Gene Hagen, who plays Lena Lamont, I don't know that they get the appreciation that they deserve because when you watch Make 'em Laugh or when you watch a sequence with Donald O'Connor, you are captivated by him, mm-hmm. even as he dances next to Gene Kelly. Oh, for sure. Which is, like, Gene Kelly was one of the most impressive dancers of the time. Yeah. And so for him to be able to pull that off is astonishing. Yeah. And um, on my most recent rewatch, um, Tiff brought a 35 millimeter print of Singing in the Rain to the light box, which I am so grateful for because it's the first time I ever got to see it on the big screen and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I noticed during that viewing that I don't think I had ever fully appreciated Lena's character mm. and the way that Jean plays her. Lena is the funniest person in this movie. Yeah. Without a doubt. Right. She carries the humor. If she wasn't funny, this movie wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I don't, like, people, rightfully so, are so focused on Gene and Donald and Debbie, mm-hmm. and I think that Gene Hagen gets overlooked when, like, her humor fully carries this movie. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I mean, the musical numbers are iconic. So the, the moment in Broadway Melody where Gene Kelly dances with Sid Charisse and they go into that dreamscape. Yes. Gorgeous. Yeah. Just, like... I sit there with my jaw dropped yeah. every time. Yeah. I like I can never say enough good things about this movie. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. I've loved it as long as I can remember. Um and you can't look at those faces and those dances without feeling incredibly happy. And mm. sometimes that's exactly what you need out of a movie. Yeah. With these classics, like I always it's so strange. It feels like a totally different time and place and like completely separated from like what I know as day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and um like there's nothing really that I see in these movies where I'm like oh I see myself in this like that's obviously never the case but like that's that isn't really the purpose of it like yeah like old Hollywood movies are so beautiful and like so fun to watch I love it as well Um, So the second movie that I picked um, is Paprika from 2006. It's by Kon Satoshi. This is a movie. So like I remember you haven't seen the movie because you and I still have to see it together. Yes. You said that I was not allowed to watch it without you. Yeah. Because I have never seen it before. So I am patiently waiting for that day. I'm very excited, especially since it is one of your top four. I'm really excited to see it. I'm just trying to think about, like, how best to describe this movie. And I think, um, so Christopher Nolan, when he made Inception, he pulled reference from this movie. Um, pulled reference is probably oh. like a like, like a chill way of putting it. Like, it's, it's a <laughs> lot of, a lot of overlaps. Um, Paprika is a persona within a dream. But in reality, she is a scientist and... Um, she has a very like almost polar opposite persona um, in in real life, and uh, she she helps out in taking part building out this like equipment called DC Mini, which is like this test trial like machine that basically enters people's minds into other people's dreams when they're asleep. I guess, oh um, yeah, it's a lot. So I was late in being introduced to Paprika. I mean, Paprika is like everywhere and like if you look up on the internet best anime like this is always top of top of the list right yeah i've seen that come up on letterboxd a lot as like on all of the top anime lists yeah and it's there really like i mean really for a reason like i know that when i see like imdb's like 
best movies of all time. It's like Godfather one, Godfather, <laughs> like it's all the Godfather. And I'm just like, first, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't criticize. Cause like, I've never seen any of those movies before. Oh, I don't no. know. Have you, I have seen the Godfather movies. Yeah. Okay. Should I not be shitting on it? Like, should I, <laughs> um, like, I'm just tired of watching all those movies. Listen, I have apparently very controversial Godfather opinions as well. Um, maybe um, we can get into that later. Our most like controversial yeah. movie opinions. Um, Yes. I think that, like, yeah, to really have a stance on it, you should probably see it. But also, that's, like, over six hours of movie just for the first two. Um, Yeah. Which is, there are so many other things you could watch in that time. I just, I feel like the, you know, the Nolan, Scorsese, the Tarantino, like, obviously that's always up there for, like, film critics. And, like, it's... Honestly, like, we see it way too much. It's exhausting. Like, let's get something new out here. Yeah, it's clearly a symptom of movie critic world having been so male-centric and so focused on white dudes for so long. So, I I mean, I yeah, I wanted to bring that up because Paprika is in, I guess, like, the anime top whatever. It's always existing there, Mm -hmm. but, like... I, I stand by that one. This is so special. I mean, reality versus fantasy stuff and, like, actually personifying that in the medium of, like, animation is really, really cool that you can't really do to live action. So, actually, like, I mean, sure, a second ago I was kind of shitting on Nolan, I guess, but I don't get me wrong. I love Inception. Um, I will go on record to say that. <laughs> it is super, super cool that, like, Paprika is also... Um, a story about hacking the mind. It's like terrorism of the mind through dreams um, and all the different layers. And like Nolan took that. It's super cool that he took that. That is super, super complex. But like at its core, he made it into like, honestly, like a Bond film. Mm, Um, Hollywood blockbuster people love. And sometimes I think it really works. And this was one of those occasions where something that was like anime converted into like a live action which honestly like I can oh maybe that's a whole separate conversation too like there's <laughs> so much garbage out there that yeah. um Netflix uh tends to make um and hot take <laughs> I think the last thing I just wanted to say about this is um there was this little moment at the very very end of this movie where it's kind of like a side story that's happening and uh this guy's a cop He grew up loving films, loving movies. Um, He's a big film fanatic. So like anyone who's like a film buff would also love, 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 appreciate this. Like just I feel like you would love this this movie as well for that reason, too. Um, But he goes through and like tries to reconcile with his trauma in the past um, and sort of like his relationship with film and his relationship with what he really loves and how he kind of had to separate from that because of his trauma. Um, Can I I just remember something? Something. Do you know the song Mary the Night by Lady Gaga? Yes. <laughs> Where are you okay, going so, with this? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a huge Gaga fan. When she came out with Mary the Night, uh, the, have you seen the music video? It's like two hours long. Gaga did the short film music video before Taylor Swift. I love Taylor Swift. And the All Too Well music video, Gaga was doing it first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I was obsessed with that. Um, but Mary the Night, I'll keep it short because this is so off off the... I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming back to our, our thought. Um, but basically that whole movie, I mean, not movie, the whole short film, music video, and the song, she's talking about her trauma and, like, she is in a... It's, like, in a hospital setting, but, like, all the nurses are wearing, like, mint caps and, like, she describes all these different things that are memories from her trauma, but she stylized it. And, yes, it's fiction, but it's still as true to what her truth is in her mind, that, like, that fact that has that's happened to her in the past. Um, and, like, <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I'm so passionately talking about Lady Gaga's music video. But, like, that was something I was so drawn to because yeah. I've also gone through trauma in high school and I was not I was I was surviving I didn't know how to live with that Mm -hmm. and to see you know sure like Lady Gaga do that in a music video form watching something like Paprika and all of Kon Satoshi's work where 
a trauma or something. It doesn't always have to be trauma, but some sort of truth that is converted into a fictional space and interpretation version of Mm -hmm. what that truth is, is equally important. It's equally true to that person. And there was something super validating that for me, you know? Yeah. Um, And it, 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 yeah, it helped me survive my tough days. That's really amazing, and I think yeah. um, it speaks so strongly, and we're, like we've heard a lot of artists of various kinds speak to this in the way that creating art out of your trauma helps heal that trauma and helps you like process yeah. and move forward with your life, and yeah. the way that I, that can also work for like consuming other people's art, where like if you see yourself represented or you see somebody working through a trauma in a way that feels healing it can actually help you heal and that's really beautiful yeah yeah anyway great movie (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to see it i'm really excited so next up i really wanted to talk about an education which is kind of a smaller film from 2009 by a danish director whose name i never remember how to pronounce i'm very sorry um lon scherfig I think um and I can see why when this came out it like was a pretty quiet movie didn't really get a ton of attention and I get it but something about it I think I saw it at the right time in my life that it spoke to exactly where I was and what I was feeling that I just I like latched onto it and I think I saw it for the first time when I was like 16 and after I saw it I went out and found a copy and I watched it over and over and over again over the next like year and a half sort of um so my late teen years were very much like oh this is my thing yeah um which is like it's kind of fun to have a thing but also this is maybe not the most um uplifting (laughs) happy thing (laughs) to have defined those years of my life yeah um it's very easy to sort of paint this movie as a love story where like jenny meets this older man and falls in love with him But I think more than that, what it is, is like Jenny finally gets a glimpse of the life that she's always dreamed of, and she falls in love with that. And David is the one who is giving this to her. I mean, okay, spoilers, it like doesn't work out very well for her. David is not who he says he is. And you can see the red flags kind of popping up throughout the movie. And Jenny kind of, you see her like take it in and then choose to ignore it because of all of the things that she is getting and all of the positives from from David. And something about that journey where, like, this young woman just gets opened up to this incredible world and she is making choices to accept that over the, like, security and comfort of the life that she was living. It was just a really emotional piece for me who was a young person who had all kinds of dreams and wanted to do all of these things and like didn't necessarily see a way to get there yeah and not that I was like oh where's my David who's gonna like swoop in and take me to Paris because obviously when you watch this movie that is not the solution um but there was something about that dream and Mm. doing what you had to do to fulfill that dream for yourself instead of like finding a person who was going to give it give it to you yeah yeah and it was just I don't know it like really really spoke to me as a teenager and I have not ever let go of that you sound like a very mature 16 year old is that fair I don't know that's that's yeah maybe a little bit true I don't think I was mature um in all of the ways that a person could be mature but I definitely yeah was maturing (laughs) yeah you sound a lot more in tune to how you like exist in the world evolve in the world as you as an individual and like I'm like wow 16 I I mean I don't I don't do that now (laughs) I think that it's just because I spent a lot of time in my own head um Mm, yeah which I still do yeah yeah totally and and that just kind of helped um focus in on yeah. some of those things. Yeah. Is this a movie that you rewatch a lot or you rewatched it like probably way too much during those days and you're like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of break. Like, or do you like revisit it quite often? I definitely 
rewatched it so much during that period that afterwards I had to take a little bit of a break. I yeah. needed um, some space to like experience different emotions. Um, but this was always, it sounds really silly to say like this is a comfort movie because especially during that time in my life, I cried almost every time I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of a weird comfort movie yeah. to have. Um, but I think even as I got older and I experience it in, in a different way now, I still can latch on to some of those emotions and some of that comfort. And so I say like maybe every two years I sit down and I'm like, I really need to feel what an education makes me feel right now. And that is like the only movie that hits that specific note for me. Yeah. It also has a frankly incredible cast yeah. for like an unknown indie director in 2009. It's got, like I said, Carrie Mulligan at the start of her incredible career. Alfred Molina plays her father. Peter Sarsgaard is David. And then um, his two best friends that like Jenny kind of gets swept up with are Rosamund Pike and Dominic Cooper, who are, like, frankly, the most attractive couple mm-hmm. within 10 miles of this movie. It's it's amazing. <laughs> um, and Emma Thompson is the headmistress at her school. Like, there's just, there's so much talent on this screen, and you can see it come across in the way that they are, like, so grounded in their performances. It's a really, really beautiful film. Yeah. Um, I still get swept up in emotion um, when thinking about the music choices. I The music supervisor on this movie did a really good job. The opening and closing credits, they're such a perfect end cap to Jenny's journey. It opens on this very, like, light and sunny and playful kind of sound over... Um, illustrations of like schoolyard games and like it's very sort of young and fresh and then at the end of the movie after Jenny has gone through this like big emotional dramatic journey the closing credits song is Smoke Without Fire by Duffy Mm -hmm. which is a banger on its own yeah but is such a great like sweeping representation of this betrayal that she felt and the way that she felt so let down and like this sense of loss and it just like every time that song starts I am surprised by it again as if I forgot that it was coming because Mm. it's just the perfect musical note to end on yeah and I think that like end credits can be a really hard thing to get right to find like just the right song yeah to capture the whole movie that has come before yeah unless it's a Miyazaki film which I know we're gonna talk about but (laughs) Every Miyazaki film is scored perfectly. Well, speaking of uh, Miyazaki, we're going to move into our next pick. And that is, for me, Princess Mononoke. As I speak wearing the t-shirt that you gave me, which says Miyazaki Club. And it's the cutest t-shirt and it's my favorite t-shirt. Shout out Um, to Super Yaki who made the absolute cutest Miyazaki merch. I couldn't not get it for you. So so cute when i first saw it in when i was small like i wasn't really understanding what the movie was about really Mm -hmm. and like i was just obsessed with the fact that there's this badass girl like riding a huge fluffy uh dog and like (laughs) running around um you know that scene where she pulls apart like a beef jerky or like a bark or something and trying to yeah feed it to ashitaka like before going to preschool or i guess kindergarten uh i would eat it exactly the way she like pulled it apart (laughs) like i was obsessed and then there's like a knife like a fake knife (laughs) that was at my kindergarten and i used to put it in my mouth and run it run around like oh my god everywhere pretending like i'm princess mononoke (laughs) yeah so (laughs) that's incredible that also like says a lot about anna now like it all makes sense (laughs) (laughs) um I didn't really grow up watching anime at all. In mm-hmm. fact, I was reintroduced to that whole genre, moving to Toronto oh. and coming here. I honestly, I was like, I have, I feel like I'm missing out on a lot mm-hmm. because obviously it's like just like a huge, huge genre mm-hmm. on its own. It's a global phenomenon. And so I was reintroduced to it at a later time in my life. Um, and Paprika was one of those. It was like my entryway into into anime, and now I'm obsessed. I can't. But going back to like Princess Mononoke, like Ghibli always felt like a different genre on its mm-hmm. own, kind of separate from anime. But uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just wondering, um, is this something that like when you revisit it, do you take in a lot of the same things? Are the same things sticking out to you every time, or are you rediscovering or discovering? 
new things every time that you come back to it and, and revisit it. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. In a, like, there's there's things that definitely like stick and has been consistent with Princess Mononoke mm-hmm. um, over the many years, and I think that piece is the whole Lady Eboshi and uh, and Sun and um, I mean the, those are like the two main yeah. female roles in, in the film and then there's Ashitaka who you know is kind of an ally to the both mm-hmm. like figures and that's always been consistent in the way I'm drawn to that triangle in a sense it's all just about that coexisting and I don't know like that's something that I was always drawn to and it's always something that I just love so much at each watch yeah. regardless of when when I have seen it but something that does change you know depending on where I'm at in my life too is like honestly like the side I choose or lean mm. towards maybe um, interesting between like Lady Eboshi and Sun um, not to say like I don't want I don't want to just as I'm like Lady Eboshi is like all about chopping off trees like I'm not <laughs> I'm not about that <laughs> let's be clear well but I think that's one of the really great things about it is like there is no right and wrong yeah there's so much nuance there's so much like shades of gray yeah. everybody is doing what's right for them yeah a hundred percent and I don't necessarily think that we have to define I mean that's not what the movie's about you just said that like you don't have to define between one or the other you can always exist in the middle and Mm -hmm. the middle is also something that's not definitive either either like you it's a it's such a pendulum that like you just kind of like swing between the two totally um and also I mean I keep saying two but there's so many different roles in this in this film too and maybe that's actually something that I discover each time is the different ways of existing in life that you find in this movie Mm, yeah um beyond just like the you know Eboshi Ashitaka san and you know there's so many different other ways this actually reminds me Miyazaki you wanted to call this movie um like live to live I don't know how to translate it from Japanese but it means like keep living keep going is sort of the intention behind it I'm forgetting his name but he's the producer for every Miyazaki film and he is the one that takes Miyazaki's you know artistic creative genius and put it into market which is a whole other (laughs) role and job that's absolutely important and obviously they decided on princess mona okay for those reasons a lot of their marketing posters just said like live like that was it um i don't know i think that just captures what this movie is about is just keep going on this journey while you figure out where you fit into and that Mm. that can always change in the journey of life (laughs) yeah what the fuck thank you for coming to my TED talk um No, I love that, though. I think that that's a really interesting example of, like, what is going to resonate with audiences? What is going to bring people in? What is um, a title that is, like, evocative enough and, like, also commercial enough Yeah, that is going to bring audiences in and, and get them interested in this and not be so, you know, tied to the art, which I think, like, keep living or, or keep to live is yeah um, that can be maybe a little bit hard for people to connect to mm. as, like, this is something that I want to go see. I'm intrigued by it um, in a commercial sense, right. but it, it resonates really, really true to the art, which is um, such a complicated thing within the arts as a whole, I think. It's so weird that like Ghibli is under Disney, though. It always tends to end with like, you know, feeling comfortable, like of how you're feeling at the end of this journey that whatever this movie has taken you. This movie is like the opposite of that. They mm. like Ashitaka and San like split up. They say it's fucking hard to coexist. <laughs> and I don't have the answer to this, but you live in the village. I'm going to live in the forest and we're just going to keep living. And for a movie like this to be able to end on that note, that is, I think, a lot, for a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. That was just like really, really cool. And oh, yeah. I'm really, really glad that that's what shaped me and who I am. Oh, well, hopefully that's my, that's the hope <laughs> is that that's like how I'm living. I love that. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to keep us on the Studio Ghibli Miyazaki train. Last pick for my top four, the charming and wonderful Kiki's Delivery Service. I admittedly am one of those kids who like didn't grow up with Studio Ghibli. We were a Disney family. We were like white people who lived in the suburbs. And so I started my Ghibli journey a little bit later in life. I 
was immediately swept away by everything that Miyazaki does, obviously, Mm -hmm. because how can you not be? Mm -hmm. But the one that really spoke to me on sort of like a lighter, like sillier reason, I really feel like Ursula, the girl who lives in the forest, is excellent, like chaotic artistic bi-girl representation. Yeah. She just is like the embodiment of that energy. And I really loved seeing that on screen Mm -hmm. in, like, a Japanese animated movie. It was just Mm -hmm. so fun to be like, ooh, I identify with this. Totally. And she's so aspirational. She's, like, the one that you want to be when you're watching this movie. 100%. But also, like, kind of on a more serious note, I think that there's really good and, like, well-rounded mental health exploration representation in here. Kiki obviously isn't doing super well for a lot of this movie. She is struggling with so many different things. Um, You see all the ways that the conflict and like fight that she has going on with herself in her head is manifesting in the way that she's experiencing the world, the way that she interacts with the world. There was something so special about the way that Miyazaki treated that with a lot of like care and respect so that it was understandable and relatable to adult viewers who are watching it and who will say like, oh, I can actually name this thing because I have the language for it as an yeah. adult. Yeah. Um, but is also incredibly generous to the kids who will be watching it. It's really, I think, clear that, you know, Kiki is struggling and those days that she just like goes up and collapses on her bed and like cannot move. Yeah is it doesn't need a name to be relatable and for kids to be able to understand it. So Mm -hmm. even though I can say like, oh, that looks like me when I like really need a depression nap, a kid who is just like, oh, I feel really bad and sometimes I need to go lie in my bed and like have a little cry. Yeah. That is equally as representative. And I thought that was really special and like a really thoughtful way of showing that it's okay to struggle with these things yeah and it doesn't define you for the rest of your life and it doesn't mean that you are you know a bad person or an unproductive person or that you shouldn't want good things and that you don't deserve good things because I think so much of Kiki's journey is like growing into the person that she will become while also managing her Mm -hmm. mental illness not like she she gets to be a good person and a successful person at the end in spite of her mental illness yeah yeah that's a really great point she has so many dimensions to her Mm -hmm. Um, she's not flat as this girl who's always super excited to like go on a new journey and I'm excited to meet meet new people and like she comes in with that energy but like he's also real like Miyazaki's really good at showing her downs as well like her lowest Mm -hmm. lows and I think that's what you're talking about but yeah I really love that too I know that we've talked a little bit about this before you and I um, but the way that Miyazaki does dads is yeah it just, like, fills my heart with joy. Yeah. Dads can often get kind of the short end of the stick in media representations. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, obviously the trope of the, like, kind of deadbeat or, like, mm-hmm. the dad that's there for the laughs and not really there to, like, be a good dad. Yeah. And as someone who has a great dad and is really close to her dad, like, it's yeah. so special to see those really supportive, loving, caring fathers. Yeah represented in his work the other thing with kiki's is just Gigi. like Gigi is possibly my favorite cat yeah. in all of tv and movies the sass and the attitude and just the like the way that Gigi is animated is so lively and shows so much emotion but also like i don't even know what the <laughs> word is like you, it yeah. just it comes across the personality comes across so evidently i feel like i need to post this on on our social um the pictures that i've shown you of Gigi Mm -hmm. in that specific moment when the super sassy annoying girl is like i don't even like fish pie and she's being (laughs) honestly a bitch about it um and and Gigi just full-on sass like has this like distinct face that i'm not going to describe so i feel like we need to share this online Oh, it's like almost like why don't I have a Gigi tattoo at this point? It's because it's it means so much to me that I'm. Just I was like, thinking I the to... same right? thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can um, talk about like Ghibli tattoos in our Ghibli episode. I thought you were gonna say maybe we should get Gigi tattoos together. <laughs> oh, that too. 
That too. I'm absolutely <laughs> down for that. Are you kidding me? Okay. You're, you said it on record. We're doing it's that. On, um, it's on record. We're yeah. tied to it now. But yes, yeah. I think there are so many good um, Ghibli tattoos that I've seen that are so creative mm-hmm. and gorgeous mm-hmm. that, yeah, that sounds like a really fun thing to get into. Yeah. And all the ones that are shit as well. Let's be right. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So my, my last pick is Suspiria from 2018. Oh, boy. I think I feel like I have a theme running from like Ex Machina, Paprika, Suspiria, Princess Mononoke. Like maybe Princess Mononoke is a little bit like an odd one. But still, like it's like, what's that? I keep forgetting because I always rely on you to remember this. Yes, it's a letterboxed list. I'm a girl and I'm insane cinematic universe. Shout out to whoever made that because when I saw that, I was like, I don't even know what movies you're going to have in this list. But like, and somehow it's perfect. It is every single movie that you're like, this is the energy that I need. Yes. Midsommar is, I think, in one of the lists there and that's another one where it's not my all-time favorite movie honestly the movie i wasn't so crazy about it's it's another one of those where just like it's this girl who in a cult setting just rises up and like everything's burning and she's just alone smiling at the end roll credits like that just i feel so seen Um, I don't, so I kind of wrote a little bit of a synopsis because, um, I felt like I was going to butcher it entirely trying to describe this movie. Basically, an American, uh, dancer, Susie, this is played by Dakota Johnson, she arrives at this dance company in Berlin and it's set in 1970s. So she comes in to, like, audition for this woman, Madame Blanc, and her company of, of, uh, dance dance company is what i'm trying to say holy shit (laughs) um and this man in block is played by tilda swinton another incredible person just an alien um (laughs) and i love her so much and she oversees this whole group of women at the studio there are you know what's funny when i was talking about paprika as well and what i love about that too and honestly this is kind of weirdly a combination of like paprika and like ex machina what i loved about ex machina as well it's that like out of this world flashback dream sequences probably because of the tone and the the word aesthetic but like aesthetic that like (laughs) luca brings in as well um so that i was just like immediately drawn yeah dakota johnson again like sort of like midsommar she just climbs the ladder in this like cult witchcraft like setting in this most fucked up way in like choreography and stuff to to top it all off the music is by tom york oh my god so it cannot be more fucking artsy fartsy movie (laughs) um and i'm just obsessed like i just love that energy so much so i think that if you if you were like luca and tom york and you're just gonna lean into it why not yeah. It, it probably works so well because they were like, if we're going to do this, we have to be all the way in. Yeah. This movie had very polarizing opinions. I mean, it's mm-hmm. either you absolutely hate it or you love it. There really isn't an in-between. But I I um, actually pulled this quote that really resonated to me because I'm really, I'm really, really close to my mom. And the whole... <laughs> the fact that, like, I'm talking about my relationship with my mom um, from a horror, like, movie <laughs> about witches, like, I don't know what that says, but, like, it just was so real to me because in the opening sequence, um, there's this woman that's dying and this song, Suspirium, I think it was Suspirium, um, Tom York's song, plays um, on top of it, and it shifts over to the wall and there's the tapestry. It says, a mother is a woman who can take the place of all others, but whose place no one else can take. And oh. I mean, this this whole story is about that actually in a dance company and who runs it, who is like the mother witch mm. essentially. Yeah. Um, Dakota Johnson just becomes that at the end. And uh, she has like a huge opening on her chest and it's like a vagina and tom york music plays <laughs> <laughs> yeah talk about art house um <laughs> yeah i'm obsessed and um another thing that i would say aside from this mother stuff that i really love is like i don't think i've ever felt so like 
like female empowerment embodied in a movie so much to this extent like I don't know if I think about that or talk about that enough in a bunch of different movies that I've seen. And there's ones that are like very, very obvious in your face. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them do it in like a really subtle, just real way. I think you, you kind of talked about that with like Celine's films. Right. And I feel that too. But this is, this is very whole, totally different kind of scenario. Kind of ties into that like, (laughs) like, psychotic energy like that insane cinematic universe energy that I was talking about with honestly like what I saw in Paprika too Mm. um and also with Ex Machina with with um the AI I don't Mm. know does that make sense like it just oozes empowerment to me yeah it does make sense so Suspiria is like that um times a thousand that's incredible (laughs) yeah and do you think does that come through because you've seen the original Suspiria from mm-hmm. like that was made in the 70s I think right yeah yeah does that come through in the same way in the original or does that feel much stronger in this new version I think it's much stronger in this version because the original to me was a lot more art house okay um and it was honestly a little bit hard to follow <laughs> because it was chaos um right. and I would love to be able to see that and be able to channel all the things I felt in this newer version but it kind of feels like Luca took that older version pulled all of these like Tom York Dakota Johnson till the switch <laughs> You know, took all that modern energy and, like, spoon-fed me the art house that was in the original. Um, And uh, I appreciated that. And, you know, like, a lot of... I can see how a lot of people react to that in just, like, a negative way. But I loved it. I just love it so much. I printed out... um, So there's, like, a certificate in the movie. (laughs) Where it's like a certificate from like the dance company. The dance company is called like Mar- Helena Marcos, which is one of the mothers, like the mother witches. But um, it was like a certificate too. And I wrote my name on it and I printed it out and it's on my wall. So That's incredible. You are a certified member of the dance troupe. The coven of... The coven. Yeah. I'm Tilda very Swain excited for all of your chaos to manifest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's it with Suspiria, I think. Okay, and that's our respective top four. We got through them all. Those are, I I have to say, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I think those are pretty good lists. I think so. I don't know. I, because I'm like an insecure person, I feel like I can hear like (laughs) voices in my head being like, okay, you're shaking your head. I know. Anna, don't do that. Stop doing that. Own it. Love it. Move on. (laughs) Own it. Love it. This is a subjective list. This is about what matters to you. We're not saying that these should be everybody's favorites. We're just saying that, like, these are movies that really speak to us. Yeah. I did think it was really interesting, um, and you can tell me if if I'm totally off base with Mm. this, but just thinking about, you know, everything that we've said and the way that we've been talking about our favorite movies... Mm-hmm. It seems to me like you and I take a little bit of a different approach to like what a favorite is. Like obviously yeah. um, we talked about some of the things that we have in common with that, but it seems like I very much come at like what is a favorite from my heart and like the way that a thing makes me feel and yep. you come at it from your brain. <laughs> Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I'm pretty sure I wrote that somewhere as well. <laughs> that like every time you talk about your faves, it has so much heart and so much love. And so I just want to say to the listeners that if you want to feel Jess's heart and where Jess's heart is at, which is like warm, loving, caring, all of those things, Aww. watch her top four. That's if so you sweet. wanna. <laughs> On the other hand, if you want to spiral and feel oh like... <laughs> no, if you want to get inside Anna's brain, which is fascinating and which I never understand how it works, but somehow always creates the most incredible, impressive things, now you have a list. Never know how it works. Neither. <laughs> Same. And yet I'm consistently Same. impressed by it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's why I need you to hype me up and just be like, it's okay to have this chaos brain. I think we balance each other out well. Yeah, I think so too. Do you want to let everyone know where they can follow us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can tweet us at Pop Martini Soup. 
You can find us on Instagram, popcorn martini soup, um, or send us an email or like a voice note. That would be really cool at popcornmartinisoup at gmail.com. So next time we are going to talk about our queer faves. I'm so excited to it's talk about be this. Amazing. And also, um, I have a feeling the horny buzzer is going to make quite an appearance in this next episode. We keep calling it like thirst buzzer, horny buzzer. Oh my god, there's no actual name for it. Yeah. No. Maybe it's we just should come up sound. with a name. <laughs> we should. Yeah, and we should actually create it. Yeah, okay. We will have um, a proper thirst alarm slash horny buzzer for the next yeah episode that is going to be going off next time so please join us um i think that's it bye bye